as this song is ending. Why don't we stand to our feet, bless the Lord together, and thank Him for His goodness. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? <laughs> Hallelujah. We thank You, Jesus. We love You. We worship and adore You, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Welcome, everyone, to the Church of Omaha. We're glad you're here. If this is your first time, we greet and bless you in the name of the Lord. Amen. Thank you to all who are joining us online. We bless you as well in Jesus' mighty name. I'm going to turn your attention to Psalm 118 and read just a couple of verses and get right into the Word this morning. Psalm 118. While you're turning, let me say how glad I am to see my children that are here today. Amen. Braxton and Jessica. Brooklyn, I think, might be helping with Sunday school or something. Yep. Allison, good to see you. Nate's around here somewhere. Hallelujah. Glad he's here. I'm glad all of you are here. Amen. Amen. Isn't God good? Yeah. Jeremy, Cassie, good to see you guys. Love you all. Amen. Back visiting. Psalm 118, verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. Last verse of that same chapter, verse 29, virtually the same thing. One minor word changed. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. With the help of the Lord, I'm going to preach from this psalm today, and my title is, God Became My Salvation. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, let the living word preach the written word and make my tongue the pen of a ready writer. Write your words upon our hearts, causing us to understand and comprehend your word. Let every hindrance be rebuked and cast out. Let our minds, O God, be brought and our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. We pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus. And would everybody say amen? amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. The significance of Psalm 118 is that it is quoted in all four Gospels as well as in the books of Ephesians and Hebrews and 1 Peter. Clearly, Psalm 118 is a very important psalm. The psalmist is unknown, but some scholars attribute it to David. Whoever wrote Psalm 118, this much is clear. Psalm 118 looks ahead to the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem, his rejection by the religious leaders and his own people, and his crucifixion on the cross, and his establishment of his church with his own blood. In other words, Psalm 118 is a very prophetic psalm. And since we know that David was a prophet, you can read that in Acts chapter 2, verses 29 and 30, then I can agree with those scholars that David might have been the most likely candidate to have written Psalm 118, especially in light of the other prophetic psalms that David wrote about Jesus Christ. Nestled between the shortest and the longest psalms, Psalm 118 looks ahead to the ultimate deliverance from captivity. Some scholars think this psalm only speaks of the deliverance of Babylonian and Assyrian captivity. And the problem is with these scholars is they're only seeing the historical 
value of the psalm. We need to know that, and we should understand that. However, they neglect its prophetical value, and we cannot uh, look at only the historical piece without also looking at its prophetical value because Psalm 118 doesn't just look at some deliverance from a foreign army, but it also looks ahead to the ultimate deliverance from sin and the captivity that Satan has on our lives. Amen. The first part of this psalm is broken up by the phrase, His mercy endures forever. The very first four verses and the final verse say that in each one of them. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for his, or because His mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that His mercy endureth forever. Verse 3, let the house of Aaron now say that His mercy endureth forever. Verse 4, let them that now fear the Lord say that His mercy endureth forever. And again, verse 29, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. If you haven't got the, the point, His mercy endures forever. He repeats this phrase five times, not just to be redundant, not just to say it over and over and over, not just to assume that you didn't get it the first time, but he says it over and over to emphasize the reality and the power that God's mercy is everlasting. Hallelujah. Is anyone thankful that his mercy endures forever? Praise God. By the way, I remind you, this is the Old Testament. This is the testament of law. In fact, uh, 2 Corinthians calls this a covenant of, of death. That's this covenant we're talking about. And that's where we find that His mercy endures forever. Oh, by the way, Jeremiah and Micah reveal to us that God will not stay angry forever because He delights in mercy. Those are also in the Old Testament. Amen. Can I tell you that God was so angry with sin, that he demanded that there be a sinless sacrifice shed uh, on, uh, that his blood would be shed on Calvary, that every ounce of this sinless sacrifice would shed its blood. And this and this alone would atone for all sin, reconciling man to God. But God realized that the blood of bulls and goats and lambs and turtle doves would only roll ahead sin every year. He realized that with the fall of Adam, no one would be perfect and sinless. Therefore, God had to manifest Himself in flesh. God had to become our sin so that we could become His righteousness. Amen. That was the only way sin would be atoned for and reconciliation would be made possible. Amen. So the cross then marks the spot where God's absolute hatred for sin met His absolute love for humanity. And there at the cross, He comes and He sheds every drop of His blood. And proof of that is when His side is pierced, blood and water flowed. Literally, every ounce of blood had flowed out of His body one way or the other, and thereby He purchased our salvation. Hallelujah. 
with every lash of the whip, with every striking of the hammer, amen, with every thorn that pierced his brow, and with every drop of blood that flowed, he extended mercy to you and to me so that we could be saved. When judgment called, mercy answered. Hallelujah. You see, he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And with every one of his stripes, I am healed. Hallelujah. It's why one songwriter years ago wrote a song that said, Down at the cross where my Savior died. Down where from cleansing from sin I cried. There to my heart was the blood applied. Singing glory to His name. Next verse he says, I am so wondrously saved from my sin. Jesus so sweetly abides within. There at the cross where he took me in. Singing glory to his name. But that ain't all. Oh, precious fountain. That's his blood that saves from sin. I am so glad I have entered in. It was there that Jesus saved me and keeps me clean. Singing glory to his name. Now, the, the writer goes on to write another verse because just in case anybody ain't yet saved, come to this fountain so rich and sweet. Cast thy poor soul at the Savior's feet. If you plunge in today, you'll be made complete. You'll be singing glory to His name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This song illustrates His mercy endures forever. It's why a little child Wednesday night can receive the Holy Ghost because His mercy endures forever. It's why a friend of mine in, in Kenya right now just saw a number of Trinitarian pastors receive the Holy Ghost and commit to preaching truth because His mercy endures forever. It's why a church in Afghanistan went from about 200 to over 3,000 even with the persecution because His mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. And so I would say to you today, if you're not yet born again, don't wait. Don't delay. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. In the next section of this psalm, verses 5 through 14 and also verse 21, we see that God becomes our salvation I want to skip ahead to verse 14. It says, The Lord is my strength and my song, 
and is become my salvation. Verse 21, I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. These are the two verses from which I took my title today. God became my salvation. I couldn't save myself. I couldn't atone for my sin. I can't earn enough money to buy it. I can't get enough education to figure it out. But he saved me in spite of who I was, in spite of what I'd done, despite where I'd been, despite the sin I was in, He saved me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Throughout these verses, the writer, if it is David, whomever it is, gives us an explanation of God's power. Verse 5, he says, I called on the Lord in distress, and the Lord answer me. Can I tell you, when you call on His name, He's going to answer. He's going to hear. (laughs) Look at verse 6 and 7. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. You know, that's why we can stand strong today. Because God is on our side. What can man do unto me? Verse 7, the Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Amen. Therefore, shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. Amen. In these verses, we know that because we've called on the Lord, He defends us and we don't have to be afraid. The next couple of verses are some powerful verses of trusting in God. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Can I tell you, man don't know what he's doing, but God does. Man is confused, but God isn't. Man is divided, but God isn't. Hallelujah. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Amen. I'm not trusting the government. My power, my authority, my strength comes from the one true God, Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verses 10, 11, and 12. No matter what's surrounding you, God is greater. Somebody say he's greater. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We need to realize that. We need to understand that. God plus you is the majority in any situation. When, when the prophet was surrounded by an evil uh, uh, enemy, by the Syrians, uh, uh, the, 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 the servant comes out and he's afraid because all he can see are these chariots surrounding him and, and, his, and his master, his prophet. Amen. But he goes back in to tell the story. And the prophet says, Lord, open his eyes that he may see that they that are with us are more than they that be against us. Can I tell you, God is greater than your situation. God is greater than a virus. God is greater than persecution. God is greater than any government. Amen. Hallelujah. And God is your help in every situation. Look at verse 13. Thou hast thrust sore at me. This He's speaking of His enemies. They've, they've thrust sore at me that I might fall. But the Lord helped me. Can I tell you, when you call on Him, He'll answer. When you call on Him, He'll help you. Praise God, no matter what your enemy does. And then, of course, 14 and again 21, God has become my salvation. Oh, by the way, he's also my strength in song. You see, he's my strength when I'm weak. I don't have to rely on my own strength. Because it, it, ultimately, it, it's frail and, and, and futile. But, but, but when I am weak, I can be strong in him. 
Besides, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? And he's become my song. Notice, he's my song in the midst of my enemy surrounding me, attacking me, fighting me, fashioning weapons against me and all of this. I can still have a song. And he's become my salvation. Long before we knew what alliteration was, here's some alliteration for you. Strength, song, salvation. You know you've heard of triple A, right? Insurance. Well, with Jesus, you got triple S. He's your strength. He's your song. He's your salvation. And he says it twice. Just kind of makes it even more powerful. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 By the way, you know the Bible says stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Sometimes we just need to stand still. I believe in the Holy Ghost. Somebody needs to hear that right now. You're, you're facing a situation. You're facing a battle. You're up against something. You just need to stand still and see the salvation. You see, here's our problem. We want to figure it out. We want to help God. As if he needs our help. Right? So, brother or sister, you can resign as general manager of the universe. God's got you covered. Call on him. Let him help you. Let him defend you. You don't, you don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to get on your social media and defend yourself. I need to say that again. You don't have to get on your social media and defend yourself. One more time. Okay. You do not have to get on your social media and defend yourself. Let him defend you. Truth doesn't need defense. I don't remember what author it was. He said, truth is like a lion. Just let it out of its cage. It'll defend itself. Jesus made himself of no reputation. In other words, he didn't try to defend himself. You say that I am. <laughs> I ain't going to fight you. I know who I am. I don't care if you don't or don't know. Amen. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. In the next section of this psalm, verses 15 through 18, we find that the psalmist was rebuked, but also redeemed. Let me read it. Verse 15, the voice of rejoicing salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. Praise God. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death. Before I move on and explain some of this, I remember one time I was at a hospital and I was, had a mom and dad, one on either side of me, and their son was about probably 10 feet away in an in a emergency room and we could hear the machine flatlining. Uh, he had gone septic, he, he had you know, died on the table and, and of course they're just oh, crying and I'm praying and, and all that came to me was this verse, I shall not die but live and declare. I began to pray it over and over and about the fourth or fifth time I said it, all of a sudden we hear the thing begin to beep and the monitor begin to beep and he came back to life and God healed him. Amen. So I'm, I'm telling you, I've seen God do miracles. But there's more to what this means than just God raising somebody back off of an uh, uh, operating table. Amen. First of all, we see here that he was rebuked and chastened by the Lord. By the way, if you're rebuked or chastened by the Lord, guess what that means? That you're loved. Because according to Revelation, he only rebukes and chases those whom he loves. 
So if you feel rebuked, if, if there's ever a time when the preaching hits you right square between the eyes and steps on your toes, don't get mad at the preacher. Don't get mad at God. God loves you. That's what it means. Discipline is a good thing because it, I, I'm rebuked, but I'm also redeemed. I'm, I'm chastened in order to be corrected. Why? Because Christ loves me. Notice what this is saying. He could have given me over to death. He could have said, I don't love you. I'll just let you die in your sin. And if that would have happened, we would be lost forever. But instead, he delivered us from the kingdom of darkness, the Bible says in Colossians. He died for us while we were dead in trespasses and sins, Romans says. Therefore, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. In other words, I've got a reason to be alive today. I've got a reason to tell somebody I was on an operating table. I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but he brought me back to life. He saved my soul, and I'm going to declare his works. It also points to the ultimate eternal life where we will live forever with him. Amen. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Praise God. Anybody thankful for life? Anybody thankful for new life? For eternal life? For abundant life in him? Amen. It's what keeps us going. It's what helps us to understand when everything is going crazy and chaotic in the world, we can turn to Christ and find our strength and find our hope, find our joy. Amen. In the final verses, 19 through 29, we see that the king is coming. In some of the most prophetic verses in all of the book of Psalms, we see the king is coming. Verse 19, open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go in into them and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter, I will praise thee. For thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee. Send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, which hath showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even under the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Now, let me ask you a question here. How many of you have quoted, posted, or said in some way Psalm 118.24? This is the day the Lord has made, we'll rejoice and be glad in it. Anybody ever post that? We're typically having a bad day, or it's raining on our parade, or that white stuff is falling from the sky that I don't want to see. No. Thank you, thank you. I, divided house there, we got a problem, amen. Okay, I, I told somebody the other day, I, I will allow one centimeter of snow on Christmas Eve, and uh, only on the grass, can't be on the sidewalks. Or... Yes, I am. Jesus gave me authority. <laughs> but anyways, 
We often will say things like, you know, we're having a bad day. God, this is the day the Lord's made. Anyway. I'm going to rejoice anyway, right? And that's okay. I, I don't think we're wrong to do that. But did you know that that's not what that means? It, it's not there just to help you have a better day. Because in essence, what you're doing is just taking that one verse out of its context and using it, which, again, it's not that it's wrong unless you build an entire doctrine around it. When you look into the depth of what this is talking about, though, you realize something. So let me explain. Let's take a look again here at what he's saying. Verse 22. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. Now we see this quoted in Peter. We see Isaiah prophesying it. So we know this is Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. Right? And the builders, the religious leaders are going to reject him, even though he's the chief cornerstone. And this, meaning his rejection by his own, meaning the religious leaders calculating all the evidence and then committing blasphemy by calling him a son of the devil, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad. And you say, well, why are we rejoicing that religious leaders rejected him? <laughs> because had they not, we wouldn't be saved. So the day is not just, oh, it's raining, but I'm going to rejoice. No. The reason I'm rejoicing in any day is because on that day, religious leaders rejected him and he fulfilled the law and the prophets and he became salvation, not just to a single ethnicity, but to the entire world. Oh, hallelujah. And by the way, as you've heard me preach often, it wasn't just a happenstance. Before he said, let there be light, before there was a world, before there was anything on this planet, he was already the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. It was his plan all along. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. It brings new light to, to understanding our salvation. It's the day when Jesus would become our salvation. Therefore, it's marvelous in our eyes. Now, if David was the writer of this psalm, then David possibly had an added experience to understand this. As I told you Wednesday night, his great-grandmother is Ruth, who's a Moabitess. Her husband is Boaz, who's his mom, is Rahab. So his great-grandma is a Moabitess, and his great-great-great-great-great-grandma, and his great-great-great-grandma is a harlot. Okay? So he's got this tarnished, but that's not all. If you go back all the way from David, ten more generations, you find incest. He's got a messed-up heritage. So much so that for 10 generations, nobody in that line can go into the temple. They can't go into the sanctuary. It's a law. But David is the first 
who can. Which is why when David says in the psalm, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord, the they are the lawmakers, the religious leaders, the, the, the council, the elders, the priests saying, okay, you're now, you've now fulfilled that. You can now enter. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. I can now go in. So David kind of has an understanding of what this verse is talking about. And he's looking ahead and he's seeing salvation and he's seeing the plan of God. And we know from other Psalms, Psalm 22, for example, 19 specific things that happened at Calvary. It's as if David wrote with pen in hand as a witness to Calvary. Amen. And so we can see if again this was David in Psalm 118, he's looking ahead and he knows from his past God had mercy on him and he knows there's going to be mercy in the future. Amen. So he's declaring, God has become my salvation. We too can relate to being outcasts. For the Bible says in the book of Ephesians 2, 12 and 13, that we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. I didn't have any hope until that day. But on that day and because of that day, I now have hope. Therefore, I will rejoice and be glad in it. You say, wait a minute. You're rejoicing and being glad in the fact that every ounce of blood was shed? Yes, I am. Because had it not been for that, I would not be here. You see, some people say, how can you worship? I thought the cross was supposed to be this somber, sober thing. And the reason we think that is because we look at what we did to cause that moment. But what we forget is he was going to do it anyway. Whether or not we remember. Did you know there are people living among you right now? Neighbors, co-workers and friends, classmates and others. That they, in their sin, he's already paid the price for it. It's already taken care of. And if they'll come to him, they can rejoice in that day too. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. It's why another songwriter wrote and said, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for sins that I had done? He hung upon that tree, what amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. And the Course says, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burdens of my heart rolled away, it was there by grace I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. That song can illustrate what the writer of this song may have been feeling. There's a day coming. Here's what else just grips my heart. 
He's on this side of, if I can use the word veil, the veil of the New Testament, Jesus Christ, the new and living way. He's on this side. And, and, and Braxton, all he can do is peer through and, and, and he can see through the glass darkly and, and, and he can't really make it all out. And he, he's writing prophetically of what he's seeing. But you and I are on this side of that veil. We can look back at Psalm 118 and back at Isaiah's prophecy and back at other scriptures and realize that day came. And because it came, I'm now saved. God became my salvation. <laughs> Praise God. Listen to how Peter preached it in Acts chapter 4. And when they had set them in the midst, this is Peter and John, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, I love this, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, you rulers of the people, and elders of Israel, if this day we be examined of the good deed done to the impotent, impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand before you whole. But watch the next verse. Peter says this. Who? Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This is the stone which is set at not of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Peter is reaching back to Psalm 118 and saying, I'm going to quote that psalm to you because you're the builders that rejected him. You're the ones that refused him. He is Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. And neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given under heaven, excuse me, given among men whereby we must be saved. Can I tell you today, that's what the psalmist saw. Peter preached it at you and I have experienced it that's why we can say this is the day that the Lord has made I will rejoice and be glad in it hallelujah 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 I know we look at the cross with pain because of our own sin but he would have done it anyway that's why the psalmist says it was marvelous in our eyes. I rejoice in that day because God became my salvation. I rejoice in that day because God became me so that I could become like Him. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 21 basically says that he became our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I rejoice in that day because salvation is still available. That mercy that endures forever is still available. He's still a savior. He is still a merciful God and you can be born again of the water and spirit. Every week, Brother Michael or somebody keeps the baptistry clean. The pH of that water is, is fresh. It's ready to go. We've got robes and towels. There's plenty of places you can pray in this church, around the front, at your chair, wherever, and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. A little girl walked down Wednesday night and practically walked into the altar speaking in tongues. 
That's how easy it is. But, friends, there's coming a day when Jesus is coming back, not as a Savior. He's coming back as the judge of the whole earth. And when he does, there is no more chance of salvation. When that trumpet sounds, I don't care what the Left Behind series says, they're wrong. There will not be another chance after the trumpet. Because the Bible says he came once to deal with sin. Not Hebrews 9, 28. And he's coming once more to bring salvation. The, the, the strength of that phrase in the Greek is he's not coming back the next time to deal with sin because he already did. He doesn't have to be crucified again. So he's coming back to then ultimately and finally save those who are eagerly waiting for him, both the dead in Christ that have died and those alive on earth that remain. So what does that mean? It means don't wait. It's, it's, it's the heartbeat of what Paul illustrated to the Philippian jailer. Why tarriest thou? Arise and be back. What are you waiting for, in other words? Be saved today. If you're born again, praise God. Psalm 118 should inspire a sense of thanks living for God's mercy and His truth and His deliverance and His faithfulness and His redemption. And you should mark the day when you receive the Holy Ghost. And if you don't remember the exact day, you know, February this or March that or whatever, amen, do your best to, to figure it out and at least get the year. But my point is, remember that day when you were Holy Ghost filled, baptized in His name, and celebrate it, praise God. Because this is a beautiful psalm that helps us understand the statement that the Old Testament is Christ concealed and the New Testament is Christ revealed. If you're not born again, then Psalm 118 should serve as a reminder to get saved today. Don't delay. Don't wait until next week. Don't wait until second half. <laughs> get ready now. You know, I'll never forget one time. I'd had a dream. I was 19 years old. Actually, I had a dream when I was 18. But I had a dream that I was standing in this pulpit. I was wearing like a brown colored suit. And there was two main aisles. And somebody about the third row on this side, kind of in a, uh, you know, a hippie looking um, outfit and dress and, and looks, stood up and said, I want the Holy Ghost as I was preaching and God filled him with the Holy Ghost. I had this dream. I'm like, wow, that's great. Hope it comes true. Pray to A whole year goes by nothing ever happened. Until I go to Independence, Missouri, and I'm preaching. And when I walk out, they, they had like an altar area in the back. And when I walked out with the pastor and we got on the platform and I sat down about right here and put my Bible down and he's there. I look up and I'm like, that's the same pulpit. Huh? And I'm wearing the same kind of brown. And I look down and on the third row back, there's this hippie looking fellow. I'm like, oh boy. Now, mind you, okay, I had two scriptures. I didn't have one. I love to preach notes. I did then, still do. Had no notes. After one song, the preacher looks at me and says, you ready to preach? I'm like, sure. <laughs> I was remembering the dream. I'm like, God's going to do something anyway. I get up, I read my text, I pray, I start preaching. Five minutes in, that man stood up. I want the Holy Ghost. I said, in Jesus' name, he starts speaking in tongues. You know what? I want to see that kind of thing happen again. 
I do not mind if you want to interrupt me. And we've only got a minute left. I do not mind if you want to interrupt Braxton when he's preaching. Amen. If you want the Holy Ghost, don't wait until the altar call. The altar call is forever until Jesus comes. You can have it whenever you want it. I'd just soon there'd be 100 people getting baptized while we're preaching, while we're singing. Amen. That's what church is all about. Amen. And that's what Psalm 118 is all about. Let's stand together. Praise God. Jesus, thank you for your word. Let it resonate in our hearts and our minds. Let us take it with us and come back in second half and see you do your perfect will. God bless you. I'll see you at the beginning of second half.